You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore. Kingdom of Bhutan. Some of our most important magic has its origins there. They say if you listen carefully enough, the past whispers to you. The world as we know it is coming undone. Things that seem unimaginable today will seem inevitable tomorrow. I imagine that you're all wondering why you find yourselves here. From this moment forward, each of us has been assigned a role to play. If we're to defeat Grindelwald, you'll have to trust me, even when every instinct tells you not to. Dumbledore asked that I give you something, Jacob. Are you kidding me right now? <laughs> oh! What you're doing is madness. With or without you, I'll burn down their world. Back on your own kind. Rescuing me, are you? Well done. Off to save the world, are we? Not to worry. We'll be perfectly safe. Our war with the Muggles begins. How will we fulfill our destinies and transform the world? You're not swiveling properly. I'm swiveling, I'm not swiveling yet. I don't believe you are. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, and the story is as follows. Professor Albus Dumbledore knows the powerful dark wizard Grindelwald is moving to seize control over the wizarding world. Unable to stop him alone, he entrusts Newt's commander to lead an intrepid team of wizards and witches. They soon encounter an array of old and new beasts as they clash with Grindelwald's growing legion of followers. The film is starring Eddie Redmayne, Jude Law, Ezra Miller, Dan Fogler, Allison Sudol, Callum Turner, Jessica Williams, Catherine Waterston, and Mads Mikkelsen. It is directed by David Yates and written by Steve Cloves and J.K. Rowling. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Josh Parham. Hello, hello. Tom O'Brien. Hi, everybody. And joining us as a guest here today, welcome back to the podcast from Cinemania World and Music City Drive Pod, Amanda Garagi. Hi, thanks for having me. No, thank you very, very much for being with us here today. And also, too, I should have uh, also mentioned, um, I'm so sorry I did not mention uh, Candid Cinema, which you're the editor-in-chief of as well. So it's okay. apologies for not saying at the top. And speaking of saying things at the top here, before we get into this review, I do want to address something that I know has been at the forefront of a lot of people's minds around the release of this film. I do want to say, first and foremost, that uh, J.K. Rowling, who is the creator of the Wizarding World and brought us to Harry Potter uh, series first through the books and really was um, you know, the creative uh, figure that spearheaded the production of these films that we have you know, in a lot of cases grown up with and is continuing here with the Fantastic Beast series, uh, which she has had writing credits on for all three so far. She has said some extremely uh, hurtful, negative and downright, in my opinion, hateful uh, things uh, against the transgender uh, community over the last couple of years. And we over here at Next Best Picture do not in any way condone uh, anything that she has been saying about that. Um, I do, however, want to say that our review of this film is more so out of respect to everyone else that is involved that does not share her viewpoint. And I want to you know, just make sure that everyone is very, very clear that by reviewing this movie, we are in no way endorsing anything that J.K. Rowling has said in her personal life regarding uh, this issue. And we are fully uniformly against it in every way, shape, and form. So, wanted to just get that out of the way. With that said, we're three films in. We're three films in, people. 
Maybe this is the movie where it turns things around. Maybe. I don't know. Fantastic Beasts, the first film, uh, Where to Find Them, was released 2016 and got a mixed reception, I'll say. Then a few years ago, the sequel, Crimes of Grindelwald, released really negative reception overall. And now we have The Secrets of Dumbledore. I don't know where people are falling on this one. Reactions seem to be really all over the place. Steve Cloves was brought in after shepherding many of the screenplays for the Harry Potter franchise. Now he has a co-writer credit here alongside J.K. Rowling, who previously on the last two films had sole writer credit. And a lot of people have said that this is an improvement over Crimes of Grindelwald as a result of that. We're going to get into why that is or maybe why that isn't for some of us. And I know everyone's going to have uh, varying opinions here on this movie overall. So let's dive into those secrets. Let's talk about them. And let's also maybe make a disclaimer here that anything is on the table as far as spoilers are concerned. So that this way we can discuss the secrets and not be so secretive about it. <laughs> so, Amanda, you're you're our guest here. So why don't we start off with you? What did you think of Fantastic Beasts: The Secrets of Dumbledore? Well, it's it's I'm in the middle, to be honest. I really did not like Crimes of Grindelwald. I thought it was kind of like pointless to make that movie, especially after watching this one and looking back. It's like this could have easily been the second one. Um, I, I like the fact that it was more about Dumbledore. I absolutely love Jude Law. I think he stole the spotlight from every single person in this movie, especially from Eddie Redmayne as Newt Scamander. I also think that Newt Scamander is one of the most uninteresting characters um, to kind of like lead a franchise. So if it wasn't for the supporting cast in all three installments, I don't think that um, it would have been as strong. Um, I do think that this is possibly my favorite out of the three but like anything is better than crimes of grindelwald at this point um but yeah i liked it for what it was i do think it was very messy at the same time i was confused the screenplay isn't the strongest um and i do think that that comes from so like as jk rowling would write a novel it's hard to translate that to a screenplay so thank god that steve pose did come in to kind of structure it differently but i still think that the script is really weak um but yeah i it was good for what it was not the best i don't think that a fourth installment would really add anything to the world i think the magic is kind of gone because multiple things have tainted it behind the scenes and off screen um but it was it was better than i thought it would be uh but yeah i think uh it's probably my favorite out of the three right now all right tom o'brien we're up to you what did you think of secrets of dumbledore well, I'm very much on uh, Amanda's page. I really do agree with the script. I do think Steve Cloves did bring a sense of structure and some, um, you know, peril to it that it otherwise didn't have. I'm not a big fan of this series. I thought the first one was okay. It was a big come down by Potter standards, and but I was willing to give it a chance. I could see that the CGI animals had a, you know, some appeal to kids. Uh, and uh, Dan Fogler's muggle character kind of worked as an audience surrogate into letting us into this particular world. And um, I thought Catherine Waterston had a very, very appealing in the first one, and, you know, especially next to all the CGI crap. But the second one, uh, I just thought was empty. Uh, it was all plot twists, no structure. And uh, switching out Colin Farrell to Johnny Depp really wasn't much of a help. Uh, I really, I, I agree with Amanda. This is, I think, really one of the worst films the last five or six years and uh, gave me very little hope about this one. Uh, is this one an improvement? Yeah, it is on the whole. I think Mad, Mads Mikkelsen is a um, major improvement over Johnny Depp. He manages to bring uh, a, a real mixture to uh, Grindelwald that Depp didn't bring. I could see that uh, how uh, Dumbledore could fall for Grindelwald uh, early on in his life, but he also brought the menace. And um, less is more, I think, here. And uh, 
uh, Mickelson didn't have to use a whole lot of dialogue to really get that menace through. Um, but I, uh, it just, it's still just lied there. Uh, this, there's, uh, there's much less Eddie Redmayne, which is always a good thing. Uh, but the, uh, <laughs> the, the, uh, the story is just not gripping. The animals are tired and uh, there's a kind of Trumpy commentary about Grindelwald, you know, getting the getting the the masses to rise up. And there were a few scenes that reminded me of Charlottesville in terms of the uh, torches and pitchforks uh, that this story really doesn't support. I think really it's time to put this series out of its misery. Wow. Okay. Josh Parham, do you concur? Well, when it comes to this whole Fantastic Beasts enterprise to begin with, I know the consensus is the first movie was just okay, but the second one is like god awful. To be honest, I didn't really like the first movie either. I thought it was also kind of bad, and the second one was even worse. So, like Tom, I went into this one with extremely low expectations, not really feeling like I was going to get much enjoyment out of it. And I would probably say it is the best one so far, but because that bar is exceptionally low, that really isn't high praise for this movie all that much, and I still don't think it's all that great. I do agree that Mads Mikkelsen is actually a really fun presence in here. I think he is absolutely an improvement to Johnny Depp. I think that he kind of gets the nuances, if you can even find them in this character, a little bit better. And his just overall presence is much more captivating. I think that they pull back a lot of the Eddie Redmayne mannerisms, which were so grating and annoying in the other two movies. That doesn't feel so prominent here. I think Fogler is charming as well. But as we have said, it really just goes back to this story that I just don't feel like is all that engaging. It kind of has this convoluted plot happening with this like election and these magical creatures that are involved. And none of that ever felt concrete enough to be interesting. And still most of these characters are not that great either. They're pretty flat and basic and shallow. And just the overall storytelling to me is still not great. And it really feels like a movie that has like, 30 to 40 minutes worth of actual story that is just stretched out. And I felt that with the last one too. And it feels like that is the case with this film. So is it an improvement from the previous two movies? Yes, but that still does not mean it is a good movie in my opinion. Okay. My thoughts on the secrets of Dumbledore begins today. (laughs) Oh man. All right. So if I were to rank the Fantastic Beast movies against the Harry Potter films and like put them all together, all three of the Fantastic Beast movies are at the bottom. And I would say Crimes of Grindelwald is absolutely dead last, then the first Fantastic Beast film, and now this one. So is it an improvement? Yes. Is it the best of the three, in my opinion? Yes. Does it still measure up to the magic that was captured with those Harry Potter films that honestly, over the course of a decade, we all kind of just fell in love with and grew up with? No, Um, I don't think it ever does from both a nostalgic standpoint, nor does it from a narrative standpoint. And I think part of the problem is the foundation for the Fantastic Beasts series is not rooted as much in character. Josh, you mentioned before, like, Eddie Redmayne's um, Newt's commander. Like, he's a very grating uh, personality, one that a lot of us found very, very difficult to relate with outside of his love for these fantastical creatures. I find myself, more than anything, really connecting with Dan Fogler's character because he is the audience surrogate in so many ways into this wizarding world. And I do still like that they're finding ways to put this muggle character in these situations, or as they're referred to, uh, what do they call him, Nomage? Nomage or something like that, I guess, yeah, in this Nomage. series? Yeah, Yeah, and yet they're still finding clever jokes and ways to incorporate that that I still find to be amusing. And I do think the character work in this movie is a little bit stronger because they do focus more on the characters that we actually do care about a little bit, such as... Jude Law's Albus Dumbledore 
Eddie Redmayne's Newt's Commander for those that are already fans, even though, as Tom said, he does take a little bit more of a backseat in this movie, which I think is good. I think it actually benefits the movie that he is not front and center as much in this. Um, When it's ever focusing on Jacob Kowalski, I think it is very strong. But then they got this goddamn Credence subplot still going on. (laughs) And Ezra Miller... Man, so many people in this movie got whack shit happening in their personal lives right now. It, outside of that, I've never liked this character. I've never liked this performance. It, it just feels like Ezra Miller is sleepwalking as uh, Credence. Finally, we get some resolution with that. So I'm hoping that that subplot can now kind of go away and we can focus on Queenie and Jacob and Newt and uh, Catherine Waterston's character. Uh, what's her name? Tina in these movies, right? I, d- I don't remember. <laughs> I don't even remember. That's how much I don't really care about these characters. That I don't really know who anybody really is. Um, there were characters in this film that I do vaguely remember from Crimes of Grindelwald, but I didn't care about them. Like, I, you know, like Lally, uh, for example. Who, by the way, has, in my opinion, the most overdone British accent I've heard from a character in quite some time. I don't know if it worked for all of you, but it definitely did not work for me here. And then you also have, uh, oh my gosh, this one's going to kill me. Is his name Nusif? Is that his name? I have no idea who you're talking about. Are you talking like, about probably... Zoe Kravitz's brother? Yes, him. Yeah, that guy. Okay. Yusuf, Yusuf. That's his name, Yusuf. problem with this movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, as you said, Matt, like, none of these characters make any impression. Like, I can remember some of the actors, but the characters and the writing associated with them is so appallingly poor. Like, right. you can't get any kind of connection to any of them because they are so flat and uninteresting. So the ones that do work in this movie are Dan Fogler, because he's the most relatable, right? Right. Yeah. And then you have uh, anything dealing with Jude Law and Mads Mikkelsen, because their relationship is the most intriguing of anything that's going on in this movie, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay, and then we have one of Dumbledore's uh, many secrets, which, by the way, after watching this movie, I still don't even know if we fully know what all the secrets of Dumbledore actually are, by the way. Like, I don't even know what the secrets implies, (laughs) because (laughs) there's so much vague information still out there, and it's not all fully explained or not as fully uh, fleshed out. For example, we know that Albus and uh, Grindelwald have have had this previous relationship, gay in this case. They were once lovers, and they have this uh, magical spell, this blood pact, where they can't move against each other. So we do get this convoluted uh, plot of how they're both trying to move against each other, but using other people to do so. And I know from the Harry Potter series, this is all supposed to culminate at some point in some legendary uh, battle between... Uh, Albus and Grindelwald. It gets teased in this movie. It doesn't actually happen here. So my guess is that they're saving that for the fourth, probably the fifth uh, movie in this case, if they get that far at this point, because after this weekend's uh, box office returns, there's diminishing um, returns on this movie, and they might pull the plug at some point, which would be a shame considering we've gotten three films in and there, there are two left. I mean, you might as well just finish it at this point as far as I'm concerned. But my point being why I'm saying all of this is Tom, you mentioned before that this movie has very, very little plot and it's stretched out. I completely agree. The characters are not strong enough to sustain it. And there's really not much going on in this movie uh, to also have the plot, you know, <laughs> be 142 minutes in its runtime. Uh, there are some set pieces like the prison uh, breakout scene where Newt is rescuing uh, his brother, that adds nothing to character or to plot whatsoever. It's just a big, giant set piece. Axe it. Done. (laughs) Well, you know, what's funny about that, though, Matt, is I agree that that scene doesn't add anything, but it is also the... One of the few times where I was actually like somewhat entertained by what was happening, like (laughs) it may be an excessive, useless set piece, but it was at least 
somewhat creatively executed. Like, and it's one of the few moments where I think some of the comedy actually isn't that bad. And it actually goes a little bit darker in its violence in those Oh, moments. the stuff with like the little the little mutant lobsters or whatever they were. That stuff was or crabs, right? There were crabs. I have no idea yeah, what they were. Something like yeah. That. Yeah. It was fun. I agree. That was fun. Yeah. And in a movie that was very devoid of fun, I was so grateful to get it in any little bit I could. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do think Dan Fogler is doing his absolute best to give this movie levity at times. And I still think he is an incredibly charming presence in these films. I don't know if it is maybe the best character for all audiences to gravitate towards, but at the same time, I still think he does add uh, a lot of charm to these movies where they are lacking. Like, you know, Albus Dumbledore saying, oh, three points to Hufflepuff and like all these like little tiny callbacks and stuff like that. Like, I don't really give a shit, you know, like all these little nostalgic bits, like with the the golden snitch from Quidditch and stuff like who cares? Who cares? Develop the characters, expand upon the stuff that you brought up in the books and also in the uh, previous movies that was never fully explored, because that's what people are coming here for. Right. They're coming here to get the backstories of these characters fleshed out. Focus on that, focus on your characters, and for the love of God, stop making the plot so goddamn confusing. That I mean, I'll give I'll give Secrets of Dumbledore this. The plot compared to Crimes of Grindelwald, I, I I was able to follow it. Even if even if sometimes there were plot holes and there were leaps in logic I had to take with it, I still was able to follow what was going on this time around. I think that's close. Yeah, you think so? I think so. Uh, Rowling didn't have it the last time, uh, and uh, I, I, this gets a little simpler, but Jesus, it's so many. It seemed to be a lot of plot twists for the sake of plot twists. I, I think the problem is that there's too many characters that we don't care about, and they've already squandered you know, us getting invested in them. And by this point, they're like hoping that we care about a lot of these uh, side characters where I'm just like, who are you again? What's your motivation? Why are you here? Yeah, I think that the goals are a little bit more clearly stated this time, but I I still find that the road to get there is very bumpy. Like, you can understand that Grindelwald is trying to sort of hijack this election so that he can become the leader and they allow him to do it. And, like, I can understand that, but then it introduces, like, this magical creature that he has to sort of manipulate and there's another one that they're going after oh my god best name for a creature in a long time the chillin just chillin (laughs) i love the chillin i mean it's a cool design but in terms of how it's factored into the plot it just got very confusing at a certain point because then it was almost like they were treating this election like it would be the will of the people but it's not it's this other thing that is introduced and like it has to bounce to somebody. No, no, that's the that's the thing, Josh. Don't all the wizards have a popular vote where they like express their preference with their wands and they're like shooting spells into the sky and stuff like that? So like the whole thing with the chillin, like, does it really matter? It almost feels like the chillin is supposed to be this thing that's supposed to point to people in the right direction for those that are undecided. I, I don't know. It sounded like the, <laughs> this creature was actually choosing the leader. That That's what it seemed like to me, which kind of undermined the whole like will yep. of the people thing. And again, like it's like they had the goal of the motivations for these characters, but had no real concrete plan to get there in a clean way. And when you combine that with very little that actually happens from a plot perspective in this story, it just is so frustrating to watch it unfold. Now, I will say that all the stuff with the chillin', just because I like saying the word chillin', <laughs> I do think that all of that actually is pretty intriguing because... And granted, it's obvious, it's very on the nose, but any modern day connections that we can draw towards uh, the rise of Donald Trump, um, I do find that to at least be an interesting exploration because they're trying not to hammer it on the nose, but any of us that are watching this can easily draw those parallels and go, oh, no, 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 no. It's very clear what you're trying to do here in in depicting a stolen election, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So I admire that that's where they went with it, um, but I do think that the logistics and all the rules and logic that they have in place for what this creature is actually supposed to do and how it's being manipulated and like like you said, Josh, the road to get there is just messy as hell. But despite all of this, 
I still was very thoroughly entertained by this movie in a way where I was not with the previous two. Well, to its credit, I think it's better edited. Um, I did. I, yes, it's long, but I it, the runtime for me at least wasn't as oppressive as it was for the first two. And I wonder if that's just because the set pieces, even if they didn't add much, I still found them to be exciting and interesting this time around. I still think the visual effects in this franchise is very inconsistent. Sometimes the creatures look really good. Other times they look pretty terrible. The cinematography, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm astounded that David Yates is still the one directing these movies. I, I like, I can't believe that nobody else has stepped up to make these films at this point. But I do think he's hit a point now where visually all these movies are starting to look the same and they're not actually adding anything different. Like that was the cool thing about the Harry Potter movies was that sometimes you got different directors, different cinematographers. They got progressively darker as they went and more interesting with the camera work. Like it felt like an ever evolving series and maybe with Fantastic Beasts, they're trying to have them be more unified, but it's not, to me, the most visually interesting uh, franchise that is out there. I mean, I'm never blown away by... I, I think the closest I ever come to being blown away by anything in this franchise is maybe the costumes. But even then, we've kind of, at this point, just settled on coats and hats okay. right now. Yeah. yeah. This this may just be me, but I think this is one of the ugliest looking films I've seen in a couple of years. Wow. <laughs> it, it is. It's well, think of the color scheme. I wouldn't go that far, but wow, I do. I mean, I uh, there it's nothing but grays and browns mm. and they aren't expressively used that way. I mean, if you think of the grays and browns of let's say the Godfather, the the richness of the grays, the uh, the browns are beautiful. This is flat. And there's a certain sameness to every look of every scene. It's not quite desaturated, but I can see maybe an artistic decision to do that. But if you if you're going to drain your film of color, uh, do it for a point. And this material doesn't support that. So I I really it was very difficult to me to keep watching it uh, without any kind of perk of a color here and there to liven it up. I mean, what was like the most visually interesting scene? Was it the Dumbledore Credence fight or was it the, you know, I actually did like the uh, thwarted assassination attempt when Lally got involved and uh, the papers were kind of like flying around the room. I thought that was kind of visually interesting what was going on there. But outside of that, I mean, ugh. yeah, I mean, like they had moments and they placed like all those action pieces at the right time because it would start to lull. A bit, and it, I was kind of like getting bored, and then the action scene would like come up, and then you'd be entertained. But I was more inter like I was entertained with my friends because we were watching it, and we were just commenting on how contradictory some of the dialogue was while I was watching it, and we we're trying to like figure it all out. So I think the action pieces did come in at the right time, but I feel like with David Yates is like they're playing it safe in a way with the like these three films because. I feel like they don't have the creative freedom like they used to. And that's maybe an issue that like Warner Brothers has a, like as a studio itself uh, creatively. But I feel like David Yates has gotten progressively like not worse. I don't want to say worse, but it's just not the same level as like or the Phoenix or Half-Blood Prince. So maybe he's just like going by the book because there is no like freedom to do anything else with it under their eye. Maybe. I don't know. I just think when you have the same guy directing what is at this point, his uh, seventh, I think yeah. film in this franchise, you just start to run out of ideas at a certain point of how to shoot a scene. And it's made worse by the fact that he is just not a filmmaker that has a very unique distinct style to him like if you had somebody like that you know i think about the pirates movies those first three gore Verbinski did them all but they are all very vibrant and exciting experiences and very interesting in terms of their filmmaking that just isn't present with any of the movies that david yates has done and 
I think that is a problem when you combine this sort of mundane, bland filmmaking with an uninteresting plot. You just sort of have a recipe of for disaster. And while I think we all agree that this one in particular is better than the previous two movies, you still have those same problems. And there's only so much you can do to overcome those very foundational issues that this movie has. Now, I got to say, you know what was the one key thing? And it's a very critical factor in a movie for me because there have been times where I've been undecided and sometimes when this element works it does teeter me into the positive territory and that is exactly what happened here I gotta say I think James Newton Howard is killing it with the score for these movies I don't even think these movies are worthy of the score that he is delivering here Um, all three I think he has done a phenomenal job on the score yes it's not John Williams clearly and yeah, maybe even if you want to compare it to Alexandra Desplat and what he did on uh, some of the Harry Potter films, too, it's not that either. But I do think that the music is honestly sometimes better than the movie itself. I felt that way, too, especially when they hit on the nostalgia going back to Hogwarts. Like that music cue, like it just brings you back to the magic. And he's the only one that's able to do that, like throughout listening to that score. So yeah, like you said, the score was sometimes better than the movie just because it would have those similar notes that we're just so used to after like a decade of being involved with this franchise. Like, I still don't even know what the themes are for Fantastic Beasts. Like, I <laughs> I don't know if any of the music that I've heard in any of these movies has repeated before or not. But I know every time I hear it, I'm like, God damn, that's a beautiful piece of music. <laughs> <laughs> You know, he's incorporating piano, strings, choirs. The guy's going all out. Yeah. He thinks he's making, like, the greatest piece of work of his life, probably. And <laughs> it's just a damn shame the movie can't rise to his level. Yeah, yeah it, it's a good score. I, I have to admit, I don't really remember that much from it, but I'm sure that it is is good. I don't remember much from any of these movies. They're very forgettable. <laughs> they really are. Truly. Truly they are. What did you guys think of... Performance-wise, uh, what Mads Mikkelsen brought to Grindelwald here, especially compared to Depp. I mean, obviously, we've all said that he's an improvement. I could envision this version of Grindelwald having a past relationship with Albus Dumbledore, whereas the Johnny Depp, Jude Law dynamic, no. I would look at that and go, ew. No, <laughs> like, no but I was having that thought, like, because the movie opens with this, like, conversation between the two of them in this restaurant. And I was yeah. just thinking, like, could you imagine – if this was Johnny Depp with his like white hair and the one eye that's like blue and like, and they're talking about that they had this relationship together. Could you imagine that scene? I would be, I would be wondering to myself, like what kind of kinky shit is Dumbledore into that? This is the guy. (laughs) My God. Like, yes, this is so much an improvement. And again, I would not say that this character is still all that interesting yet, but Mads Mikkelsen just has this natural, like villainous energy that he puts out there but is also still so captivating like you could understand how somebody could be like taken in by him even though he obviously has this sort of bad guy presence it's what he utilized really well on Hannibal all those years on that show so again not like the best performance not the best character to play but given the bare minimum of the material I think Mads Mikkelsen absolutely makes the most of that and he's actually really good in the film yeah I I, it's odd to me that the one really affecting scene that really hit me the most is two men sitting at a table talking. Yes. It was uh, the first scene. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It, it might actually be the best scene of the whole movie. Yeah, because here are two actors really giving their all. And when Jude Law says to Mads Mikkelsen, I followed you because I love you, I believe it. Yeah. And the res- uh, re- response to, uh, from Mikkelsen, I believe that too. It is it it has promised me a film that never really came up to that height again, but it did give me much joy in the beginning of the film. But I but I think it also adds like a layer of intrigue that previously wasn't there before with this franchise because now that we've established this, I am more engaged in a storyline where these two characters cared for one another. They made this pact and they had this vision for how they both saw the world but they you know saw it in a totally different way and they wanted to go about it differently and they grew apart and now they're coming back together and there's this contrast and ideologies honestly it's it's 
I, I mean, it, it's clearly Xavier and Magneto, like, all over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's exactly what I thought. And I love that, though. I don't care if they're doing it again. I love that dynamic. Yeah, I, I really lo- I love it. I think that what would have been more beneficial for this movie in particular is that we had more scenes with the two of them and just focus it entirely on just Grindelwald and Dumbledore, maybe have some flashbacks to um, to when they were together back in the day. I think that would have made their present relationship stronger just so that you could have built that foundation. Not that they weren't believable, that they did uh, love each other at one point. I just think that would have made it a bit stronger instead of like adding the Credence storyline or, you know, adding the beast to it in this case i think that if it was just grindelwald and dumbledore to have more of that and like see it i think that would have been way better in this case it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Don't you know that you're a grown up? I'm a grown up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown up can really Really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. (laughs) I'm just now imagining, Amanda, uh, flashback scenes of CGI DH Jew Law to make him look like talented <laughs> Mr. Ripley. And I'm just like, yes, let's do yes, that. Right? That's a vibe. Like, why not put that out there? I want to see it. Make it happen. <laughs> Outside of that, there's really not much else to really add about the rest of the characters in this movie, quite honestly. They, Jew Law and Mads Mickelson, are the most interesting dynamic here. I do think Jew Law, while he gets more to do in this movie, I still find it very odd that this version of Dumbledore is in no way, to me at least, <sighs> capturing the spirit or the mood that uh, was previously there from uh, Michael Gambon. I, like, it, it just feels like two totally different characters to me that both happen to be called Dumbledore rather than, oh, this is the guy who eventually becomes the man wearing robes. Like, when is he ditching the hat in the in, in the coat? And, you know, he's going to start wearing robes and become a hippie. Like, I'm just wondering, <laughs> wh- when does this happen? <laughs> I mean, I don't think they've really been that consistent with the changed actors. I mean, even from Richard Harris to Michael Gambon, I felt like that was a completely different interpretation of Dumbledore as well. So I don't really get hung up on that too much. I think Jude Law is fine. Once again, it's just there's not much to Dumbledore that is all that interesting here, but I think he makes the most of it. And I think most of the actors here don't have great material, but they're trying their best. Essentially. I I think Mickelson is really the only one who makes like a definite impression to elevate the material. And I'll give Jude law credit for this. He gets saddled with some really atrocious writing in this movie to the point that I'm like, Dumbledore, why are you withholding shit from other characters? Your plan does not make any sense. Like, the logic of the chillin selecting him at the very, very end, like, all that did not make sense to me. There's all this stuff that he gets, like, kind of given from a screenwriting standpoint, and the fact that Jude Law can still make him a captivating presence and a character that I care about speaks to two things. One, his ability as an actor, and two, that... I have so much fondness for the other previous interpretations of Dumbledore, like you said, Josh, that I'm still like relying on that nostalgia factor to inform my feelings about the character today. And it's still managing to 
rise above the screenwriting flaws that are constantly being given to this character, and particularly in this movie. Because I do think that, you know, great example. Why doesn't he join the wedding at the very end with everybody else? What's stopping him? Why does he not go inside? <laughs> it's like so silly to me that he does not show up there. And yet he has conversations with characters outside. Dude, just go in. It's no need to be mysterious and walk off into the night. You know, it's just like it's so silly to me what they do with him here. It, it's like they, they kept him from going in so they could have that last shot of him walking down the street alone. Yeah. And it was, oh, please. For what? Yeah. Man, they should have just ended it with everybody around the cake. I would have been happy with that. Make it look like make it look like the Last Supper. Well, you gotta have an ending that still has a bit of darkness too, in terms of it, of course, being unresolved and sort of a cliffhanger, emotionally speaking. Anyway, and, and speaking of which, can we please just talk about the? Oh my god, my head hurts just thinking about it. How does Mads Mikkelsen get added to this election? And then a day later, the chillin selects him, albeit it's the resurrected turned evil chillin. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, are the people that are doing the voting in this world that stupid and that gullible? I, I just like I, well, I just well, again, yeah. this goes back to how like convoluted the plan is, because. At, on the forefront, you say, OK, you need to like win this election and you become the leader. But. Then it's also like part of what the people want. But when you introduce this magical creature, it makes it seem pretty concrete that the way you win is that this creature has to choose you. But then they also sort of set it up like it would only choose somebody whose heart is like so pure, which seems like it would be pretty rare to do. So it just felt like the rules that they have established for their own universe just do not make sense. And when you can't establish your own rules, when you get to the end, it just feels like this collage of points you're trying to make, and I can't follow any of them. So whatever happens, I have no emotional attachment to because you've done such a poor job explaining the stakes of what any of this actually means. Like when the chillin bows to Dumbledore and Dumbledore's like, thank you, I don't want it. Okay, Jon Snow. Like, you could just do that? <laughs> and, then, and then it's like, okay, well, I'll just go to the next one. And then the chilling goes to another character who we don't really know about. Now, what if that character also said, no, thank you. Sorry. Does the chilling just keep going around? <laughs> and then what is it, what message does that say to the people? Like, who do they vote for at that point? Oh. So in that moment, like, I, I think that saying that Dumbledore is pure of heart didn't make any sense considering what we know that he does after yeah. all of that. Right? So I was just confused. I'm like, why would you do that? But I personally thought that the chillin was going to go to Kowalski because they kind of set that mm -hmm. entire scene up. And I'm like, oh yeah. I kept telling my friend, like, that's what's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And then like, nada. I was like, oh, okay. That's how you guys are moving. Isn't it weird that we all had that same thought? It's though as if that actually was the logical fucking choice. <laughs> yes, it would make thematic sense in the movie too. Like it would be great for that character and it would make sense for this world that is so divided to be like, oh, here is a muggle that has enough potential, you know, good, sort of good character potential to be a leader even in the magical world. What a commentary to bring everybody together. Like, even if he refused it, at least it would still be there and it would make sense. But yeah, you're right. Bringing up the point about going to Dumbledore, it is like, that is the myth of Dumbledore that it is playing into and not the actuality of who that character is. So it is very strange that it does <laughs> go with that. It feels like fan service to a negative degree. Also, too, I do want to say um, very sorry towards Richard Coyle. It's very clear that they wanted Carl Urban, and Carl Urban was busy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that character just in general, like everything with him and the Credence like subplot was just awful. It was so I still bad. can't I, I still have no idea. Is Credence dying? Does he have cancer or something? Like what's going he on? He is dying, <laughs> yeah. Because like the Phoenix is molting. I don't know. Like it, it's it's they do make it clear that he's like at the end of his life, essentially. Honestly, just you know. I mean, considering what's going on with Ezra Miller right now in his real life, I, I just just get rid of him. Don't even bring him back for a fourth film. I yeah. think that was the intention, to be honest. I, this yeah. felt like we're writing this character into a point where he could go or he could stay. But I I feel like 
if they even get to another one, this is their out to say this character's not going to be back. I mean, he's already fulfilled what he was supposed to f- fulfill since the first film. Like, he had his attempt to kill Dumbledore. He failed. By the way, he failed at literally everything that Grindelwald wanted him to do. So he's a pointless yeah. character to begin with anyway. So I agree with you, Josh. At this point, don't even bother. Don't even bother. Which does make me wonder, though, in terms of the timeline for this movie, because this is supposedly a year before, I think, the Germans uh, rise to power in Germany. It does make me wonder if we're going to get a serious time jump after this with the next film. But I don't know. I'll be curious to see, like, just where the franchise goes, if it gets greenlit. Because there's a chance that it may not get greenlit. This might be it. Yeah, because this is a $200 million budget film. And right now, the box office is looking a little shaky for it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know where it's going to end up when all is said and done. But I do think audiences are responding, you know, in terms of the dwindling returns here, in terms of the success of this uh, franchise. Critics have already made their opinions known. And while, granted, this is an improvement... It still is not capturing the magic of the original Harry Potter films. I will admit, I think it's almost there. I think if they lean in more into the characters we care about, tighten the writing a little bit more, maybe add some visual flair, I do think that we can get somewhere where this franchise, you know, maybe comes full circle at the end and it gets better. I I really, I don't know. Maybe I'm just wishful thinking at this point, but... Bringing Steve Cloves back, I think, definitely was a big factor here in making this film a bit better. So we'll see if he's able to hopefully take on full writing duties. I would I would personally prefer that. Mm-hmm. And we'll see uh, where it goes from there. So uh, for final thoughts on The Secrets of Dumbledore, Amanda, I'll pass it over to you first. Anything you want to reiterate or something that you haven't had a chance to bring up yet? Yeah. Um, speaking of Ezra Miller uh, with Credence, I think that they like completely gave a dead performance. Like there was just no point of him even being in this. Um, like Credence being in this, I just dis- like I didn't like the scene between uh, him and Dumbledore where they actually fought. I'm like, well, this was just pointless. Like nothing, nothing really happened. That battle was just so uh, useless. But um, I think if this is the way that they're going to end it with like Aberforth and and Credence just like going off and like disappearing, I think that would work best. Um, But yeah, I really hope that they do bring some magic back. I don't want JK writing the next one. If there is going to be a next one, box office doesn't look like it. Um, But the, like the further away we move from her with the screenplay, I think that would be really beneficial and maybe bring in a new director if they're going to go that way. But I feel like they're going to play it safe with David Yates. Either way, this was the better one out of the three. And uh, I just want more Jude Law and Mads Mikkelsen in the future. Uh, I also apologize. I think I've referred to Ezra Miller a couple times using he, him pronouns, and I forgot uh, that they prefer they, them. So uh, thank you, Amanda, for mentioning that. And I apologize uh, for any instances of mentioning Ezra before in that sense. Uh, Josh, what about you? I think the only other thing I would mention is we've talked about how characters, they're not that great. The actors are doing the best they can. And I think most of them don't make an impression. But I do have to admit, I was kind of taken with Jessica Williams in this movie. And I'm again, I would not say that it's like a great performance or a great character, but she she did sort of have like a spark and an energy that whenever she was on screen, it's like she kind of pulled me in and I found her to be a compelling presence. So I would not say that I like found myself you know, thinking that this was a great character to watch all the time, but when it would be such a dreary and miserable kind of drudge to get through the plot, when she showed up with this kind of plucky attitude, it, it, it had the potential for me to be like really grating and annoying, but I found that she got like the right balance to make it actually sort of fun and energetic and entertaining at moments where I really needed that in the film too. So I do just want to give her a shout out as being somebody who brought more to that character than what was on the page as well. I don't disagree with you, but I'm sorry, that British accent is atrocious. <laughs> is she British? I didn't even think she was. No, she's American. Yeah. You couldn't tell by how over-exaggerated everything she said was? 
Yeah, I mean, I took it more as like, you know, like that kind of plucky, you know, office girl kind of thing. You know, I, I found it to be more like that. Like, yes, it was very over-exaggerated, but I felt like that was the point of the character. See, I thought it was like teetering into like Cruella Darling territory for me at times. Mm, it didn't really go that way for me. I mean, I can understand if it didn't really work for you, but I, I found it to be like one of the few instances where somebody came on screen to give a performance. It's like, OK, this is kind of fun, you know, fun, but fleeting for sure. Mm. Anything else? God, this movie is just still not good. I, I just really have to say that, yes, just being the best of the three Fantastic Beasts films is not a mark of quality. Like, let's be clear about that. And there are just still so many. I don't know why these plots are so overly complicated and overly long. Like, it still feels like there's so little material that they are stretching out to two hours and like 20 minutes. Like, I don't understand it. And there's there are some improvements here, but my God, it is still not a really great film to experience. And I'm very ambivalent about this franchise's future. Like it could get better from here for sure, but I'm still not interested in anything that they have shown me thus far. OK, Tom O'Brien. Well, I got to say, I co-signed with Josh on Jessica Williams. I, I perk up every time she showed up. And she sounded more to me like Eleanor Roosevelt than uh, necessarily an overly mannered British accent. But that was just me. The the one thing I in this this might seem small, but it really kind of will they please step up the costume design on these? I, they won an Oscar for the first one, which was good. I like the work of the first movie. Yeah, it was. I mean. Colin Farrell has this blue coat that I still remember from the first one that has this white lining. It's like, oh, I could never get away with it, but I want to see that coat again, at least. Um, but here, uh, I think part of the reason why we can't decipher between people is that nobody has memorable costumes. You know, it's hats and coats and that's it. Um, you know, if if the plot is as uninteresting and ridiculously convoluted as they are getting to be, at least give us something to look at. So please step that up if there is a fourth film, and I hope they're not. The only other thing that I'll add as a final thought, because I pretty much got all my thoughts out here, the scene where Grindelwald extracts the memory of uh, Yusuf's uh, sister from him to prove his loyalty, I thought that was a good scene, even though I did not remember jack shit about the relationship between Yusuf and his sister uh, from the last film. So like, I, I, even without that and like having like that muddled memory, because I've never seen any of these movies more than once, and I don't think I ever will rewatch them. Uh, I still felt the impact of that moment. I thought that was a good character moment for uh, Yusuf that I kind of wish that they had done more with at the end when it was revealed that, you know, he wasn't fully converted. Even though you could, like, kind of see it coming a mile away that he was going to help them at the end, I still was invested that that was the lengths that he was willing to go to to complete Dumbledore's mission. Uh, outside of that, it's an improvement. It's not bad, in my opinion. Not terrible like like Crimes of Grindelwald. Although, much like how the Crimes of Grindelwald are tossed under, under the rug in this movie, the secrets of Dumbledore are still very secretive to a lot of us, and I don't think they have fully uh, fleshed out the characters. I don't think they have fully fleshed out... Uh, this world, because there's a lot of contradictions and leaps in logic and just moments where I'm utterly confused by the plotting overall of what they're trying to do with these movies here. And I think a large reason for that is because at the end of the day, I could forgive a lot of these issues with the plot if I cared about the characters more. But there's such a shaky foundation already established with those first two films that now trying to improve upon that is just such a tall order. I do think this is a step in the right direction. I think Eddie Redmayne was tolerable here as Newt's commander. Um, I previously have not really been a big fan of his performance as him here. Uh, but I like Jude Law, like Mads Mikkelsen. I really like everything that Dan Fogler is doing. And I love that score by James Newton Howard. I got to reiterate that again. I really, really like that score a lot. So in the end, I leaned positive. Uh, I was mixed and leaning either positive or negative. So I'm going with a very, very weak 6 out of 10 when all is said and done here. I think it's the best of the three so far, but it still isn't coming anywhere close to any one of the other 
Harry Potter movies in the franchise. So if this, if the franchise does continue on from here, I do hope to see it improve uh, just because at this point, you know, if we're going to get two films out of this, two more, regardless, I would just like to see them get better. You know, sky's the limit also, in my opinion, considering how far they've uh, hit the bottom. Like we know we know how far it can be down there at this point with Crimes of Grindelwald. So hopefully they can just keep continue to keep going up. But if this is the end and they do pull a plug on this franchise, we don't get the other two. I would be very upset, not because, you know, we're not getting two more films, but more so because then I would just feel like these past three would have been a waste of our time. So six out of 10 for me. Tom, what about you? Um, yes, it is an improvement. And I think um, Mads really lends a lot of complexity to without him I, I i'm not sure i'd be invested in the story at all and i think uh, jude law is very solid he lends a gravitas um so for that reason it sort of goes up from grindelwald to me to of soft five amanda i think i'm sitting at a six two out of ten i i really enjoyed it so for what it was and it was better than the other two. But again, like, as we've all said, it's not really saying much. So, um, yeah, a six out of 10, there were some humorous moments and, um, Kowalski, Dumbledore and Grindelwald were the standouts for me. So hopefully it gets better from here. Josh. Yeah. I'm not going to be that generous. <laughs> um, it is better than the previous two movies, but I still didn't like the movie to be honest. So I'm going to be a four out of 10. All right. And then as far as any kind of awards potential goes for fantastic beasts, the secrets of Dumbledore, I think this is going to repeat uh, crimes of Grindelwald. I don't think this is going to get a single Oscar nomination might show up at the BAFTAs just like that film did. But I think that this franchise has to, both reprove itself to the Academy and then also probably not release in April. <laughs> so that would be yeah. a start. <laughs> that, that's the other thing. And I would agree that like you need to sort of keep it in the back of your mind because after all it is Stuart Craig as the production designer and Colleen Atwood as the costume designer. So like, they are very popular within the Academy and anything they work on, you need to at least keep as a potential long shot, but I I don't think this is getting any Oscar nominations either. Right, because there's nothing in this that I would say is a, a series best. It's more of a retread of things that we've seen before. Yeah, and with it being, like you said, an earlier release date and still rather tepid reviews, like there's nothing even in the movie itself that is exceptional and worthy to kind of seek out in terms of nominating it anywhere below the line. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Anything else? Any other commentary? No, I think it's probably going to be forgotten by Labor Day. Yeah, I think so, too. Labor Day will be forgotten by Memorial Day. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. We're going (laughs) to... The movie itself is using that spell that uh, Mads <laughs> yeah. uses, and it's just extracting the movie from all of our, all of our brains <laughs> in time for award season. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us here today. Tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the internet. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This is great, as usual. Uh, you guys can always follow me over at AMX NDA Reviews on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. You can check out my website, CandidXCinema.com. And my YouTube, Candid Cinema. You can find me over at the Cinemania World podcast, the Music City Drive-In podcast, and over at the Suit Up Geeks on YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. All right. Thank you once again for taking the time. I really, really appreciate it and hope to have you back on again soon. Tom O'Brien, where can I find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Thomas E. O'Brien. And Josh Parham. You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time.
on the secrets of Dumbledore ends today. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> oh man, I've forgotten it already. <laughs> I mean, I saw this movie like two weeks ago, and yeah, it is barely clinging on. <laughs> it's in like the recesses of my mind. Yeah. God. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.